Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, Mastering Reinvention, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory of my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abnp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Steve Gavatorta, owner of the Steve Gavatorta Group, specializes in empowering individuals and organizations in identifying, developing, and exceeding performance goals. Steve has had the privilege of coaching and training thousands of high performers across an array of industries. From small business on the move to Fortune 500 companies, Steve collaborates with organizations to build foundations, set goals, and eclipse their highest potential. Steve is a certified professional behavior analyst, a certified professional values analyst, a certified Myers-Briggs practitioner, and accredited to coach and train for emotional intelligence. He's a two-time published author, and his new book, In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success, won Richter's Publishing Amazon Bestseller Award for 2018. Steve currently resides in Tampa. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. My pleasure. Happy Monday and uh, happy to be Today it's actually Tuesday because (laughs) yesterday was the holiday. (laughs) I'm still stuck, I guess. Yes, I'm still. Hey, now you made my day. Now I'm really happy. So uh, (laughs) a reminder. (laughs) That's okay. But welcome. This is going to be a great discussion that we have today. And obviously, I just gave a little bit about your background. um, But I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your background and how you began working with entrepreneurs. Sure. Uh, I have an interesting background. Um, I've owned my business, Steve Gavitorta Group, for about 17 years, and you've heard most of those credentials, or you delivered most of those credentials. Uh, but before that, I actually spent uh, close to 22 years in corporate America, uh, working for the consumer packaged goods divisions of pharmaceutical companies. Uh, spent 10 years with a company called Gla- uh, Beecham Products, which was part of GlaxoSmithKline, five years with a company called Warner Lambert, uh, several years with a company called uh, Catalina Marketing, and then ended my career with a company uh, people may have heard of, I'm not sure. Uh, they were called Eastman Kodak. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> they kind of went the way of the horse and buggy, unfortunately. Yes. That, that was the, that's where I uh, ended my corporate career. But truth be told, uh, prior to that uh, time at uh, Kodak, I was always uh, very much into training and development. My first job out of college was with the company Beecham Products. And all the upper-level managers in Beecham were former Procter & Gamble leaders, or they came from Procter & Gamble. And Procter & Gamble in the day uh, had the best of the best in coaching and training and developing their people. Hmm. And I was fortunate enough to inherit a lot of – as I said, we had managers – from Proctor, and they brought that training over to Beecham. So I was fortunate. My first job out of college 
to experience the Cadillac of training and development. And I really understood the importance of uh, a foundation of training, skills, uh, processes, and the importance of developing people's careers through those uh through that skill development. So I always carried that with me in my career. I was always known as a, a good trainer, a good coach. Um, but truth be told, I always wanted to start my own business. And through, uh, through those uh, 21, 22 years, I started building towards that. And I became mm-hmm. certified in several behavioral assessments, emotional intelligence, uh, intelligence-based assessments. And I actually left that last job uh, in corporate America with Eastman Kodak, cold turkey, to start this business. So I really have a passion uh, for developing people. Well, and it's so important to really think about right now with everything that's going on, you know, we're in this pandemic. So, you know, why should we even be thinking about this right now while this is happening? You know, we, we have, uh, we teach uh, reading, writing, arithmetic. We do teach selling and training skills in, uh, in the business world or marketing skills. We don't have any real skills learning for how to deal with a pandemic, mm-hmm. how to deal with adversity, how to deal with ambiguity, how to deal with uncertainty and unprecedented times. So I think any skill set, whether it's in the business world of uh, selling skills or whether it's the life skills of how to deal with these adverse times, I think people need some sort of foundation or some, uh, some form of skills to help us through these times. Mm-hmm. Just because we're going through this pandemic doesn't mean companies are not still able to engage with customers or leaders uh, are not uh, allowed to engage with employees. They might have to do it via virtually or social distancing, but there's, they still have to engage with their people, still have to engage with their customers. So skills to do that, especially during these times, I think are, are essential because if you don't have those skills, you're not going to be successful any time, let alone a time like now with all right. the adversity we're facing, the ambiguity, uh, unprecedented times. So I think foundational skills, be it personal or professional, are, is imperative for us to succeed in anything, especially during these times. And I uh, always say with those skills, we can't only just survive these times, but we can truly thrive in them as well, too. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. I mean, I often tell people, too, there's a lot of people that will start a business that really haven't had education on how to run a business. You know, attorneys go to law school and doctors go to medical school, but they're not actually taught how to run a business. And I have a lot of people I've seen that really struggle with that. So it's good to have the skills in the good times even, but especially now during the times that are a little bit tougher. That's correct. That's correct. So how would you say most people actually respond to adversity? You know, I always say adversity is deeply personal. What is What one person may view as an adverse situation may be viewed as a challenge for another. So it's deeply mm-hmm. personal. You know, we all have different fingerprints. We all have different DNA. We all communicate. We're motivated by different things. The way we deal with adversity is really personalized towards us. And um, I think It's highly important to understand how we deal with it. What things may set us in that uh, in that a non-productive emotional state of mind, and what is our response? My uh, my point would be know your know what sets you in an adverse in in a uh, negative state, and how do you respond? Are you a freezer, a fighter, flighter? Mm -hmm. Typically, people may respond getting angry about it, or getting frustrated, or or taking control of a situation, trying to take control of the situation. Another person may run from it, 
act like mm-hmm. it's not happening. Oh, everything's hunky-dory, see the world through rose-colored glasses. Another, another person may freeze. They may just be so internalized they can't think clearly. What I talk a lot about in my book and, and the importance about leading and self-managing through adverse and ambiguous times is that we've got to learn those things that trigger us that may put us in a non-productive emotional state. And then what is our response? Are we freezers, fighters, or flighters? Are we responding in a non-productive emotional state? Because when we're responding in that non-productive emotional state, we're not going to be able to solve a problem. We're not going to be able to deal with ambiguity in a positive light. We're not going to be able to think out of the box or think clearly, and we're not going to be able to problem solve as well. So the way people deal with it, again, is deeply personal. It's our job to really find out a little bit of ourselves and know, again, those things are triggers and how do we respond. Right. You can't just put your head in the sand and hope it all gets better, right? Correct. Exactly. So then what lessons are missed if people don't actually address adversity head on? You know, I firmly believe we are put on this earth to grow, transform, and evolve into the people we were meant to become. Um, I would gather to say my biggest learnings have been through my most adverse times, my most difficult times. That's where I've grown the most as well, too. So I think the biggest lessons learned are how to problem solve, how to resolve conflict, how to think clearly, how to uh, think out of the box and whatnot. Because if we're not allowing ourselves to go through adversity or go through ambiguity or go through change, we're not going to be able to do it in the future. So I always say when adversity strikes, we have to really watch our perception of adversity. First, Mm -hmm. we want to accept that adversity is part of life and that acknowledge that once it happens, it gives us an opportunity to learn, grow, and transform into the people we were meant to become. It's an opportunity. So I always, always tell people when adversity strikes, first and foremost, assertively face it. It's going to happen. What do I need to do now? Secondly, hopefully successfully overcome it. And then thirdly, at the least, even if you, if you have a perceived failure or something doesn't go in your uh, favor, so to speak, then you need to at least learn a valuable lesson from it. Because that lesson you learn can prepare you for when, if and when this happens in the future as well, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I think a lot of people, though, that depending on their personality, right, if they don't want to just normally face it head on, it's because they want to avoid pain, right? That pain right. could be a financial pain. It could be an emotional pain, whatever. But they know that there's pain associated with that. That's correct. Yeah, never something easy to deal with. But like you said, if you don't deal with it now, you're going to have to deal with it down the line anyway, right? Correct. You know, that's, uh, I don't. I hope I'm not offending any listeners or whatnot. I'm just giving my opinion. But um, what I was going to say, I don't want to offend your audience or whatnot, but I'm not a big fan of participation trophies for children because I think it robs children of lessons learned through failure or losing or dealing with adversity because there's lessons to be learned there and those lessons prepare us uh, for success down the road as well too and uh, I can talk about this later at the right time but there's a lot of science that backs um, how we respond to adversity and how our brain can evolve and grow uh, by facing these uh, difficulties and overcoming them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important. And like I said, it's not always easy to face those challenges, but it is definitely something that we should address. Um, so correct. then what is the number one thing that someone can do right now to increase their chances of dealing with this in a positive way? 
Right. Again, as I said, I think the number one thing is change your perception of adversity. Realize that and accept that adversity is part of life. That's the number one thing. Our perception is going to be huge. It's going to be key. If we're expecting to go through life with uh, everything's hunky-dory, everything's and bad things are not going to happen to us, we're going to be deeply disappointed. So the number one thing is accept that adversity happens. And, and secondly, look at it as an opportunity to grow, transform, and evolve. Uh, what lessons can be learned? How can I aggressively face something and, and overcome it and build strength from that as well, too? I often talk about two important parts of our brain, the limbic system and the cortex. Our limbic system is called our emotional brain. Uh, we're bo- that's what we're born with. It doesn't transform and evolve through time, through experience. Uh, when we're cavemen and women, uh, and well, let's go backwards. When we are functioning in that limbic part of our brain, when adversity strikes, adrenaline's going to start rushing, and our response is going to be emotional, one mm-hmm. of freeze, fight, or flight. The other part of our brain is called our cortex. That is also known as our rational brain. That does grow, transform, and evolve through learnings, experience, or training. So, and that's where reason and logic lie. If we are able to learn, grow, and transform from our adverse situations, it's going to help develop our cortex part of our brain. And my whole premise is when adversity strikes, we need to function in that rational part of our brain, or we're going to be stuck in that freeze, fight, or flight mode, and we're not going to learn any lessons. So the key is look at your perception of adversity and function in that rational part of our brain. Look at it as a chance to to grow, to to, uh, transform, to learn a lesson, things things of that Mm -hmm. nature. And I think sometimes I talk about like the heart versus the head, right? As a business owner too, sometimes, you know, sometimes we're thinking through situations and thinking on like the emotional side or there's thinking through like logically. So it sounds like you're just saying the same thing with different terms, limbic versus, you know, like heart versus head, you know, that sounds like that's what you're saying. Absolutely. You know, there's not like uh, love is an emotion. I'm not saying emotions are bad. What I'm saying is responding in a negative emotion in the business world or during an adverse time. Um, if I'm if I'm in freeze, fight or flight mode, I'm not functioning in that optimal brain capacity. If I'm emotional, if my adrenaline starts rushing, I'm not going to be able to solve a problem. I'm mm-hmm. not going to resolve a conflict. In fact, I may exacerbate the situation right. and make it worse. So it's imperative that we're functioning, we're thinking logically, we're thinking rationally, we're not jumping to conclusions. We're seeing a negative situation clearly. Mm-hmm. I think that's important too, because I know we hear a lot of times too, don't make a decision, you know, like a rash decision or something too. And often when your emotions are just same thing, like don't send an email when you're really mad, right? Because you might say something right. you don't mean. So exactly. you might be experiencing those emotions, but then take the time to really like settle down a little bit, think through logically and then make a decision. Exactly. And that's my whole point. Um, if I would say anything to your listeners, it would be what I call preventing the transfer of authority from your cortex to the limbic system, meaning stay calm, stay cool, stay rational. Because once you fall into freeze, fight, or flight, you can't get out of that right away. Mm-hmm. I cannot immediately get unmad. I cannot immediately get unshut down. It takes time to do that. I've got to step away from that for a while, and depending about on the 
severity of the situation, how long I may need to step away is going to vary. If I'm right. really angry, it may take a day. If I'm a little bit angry, it may take a few hours or a, a few minutes. The whole point is to never allow yourself to fall into a state where you're highly emotional and you can't see, think, or, or, or deal with things reasonably, reasonably, logically, and rationally. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely great tips that you're giving us. Um, but believe it or not, it's actually time to take a quick break. So when we come back, we'll continue to chat with Steve about leading in adverse and ambiguous times. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Biz Help For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help For You. Welcome back to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Steve Gavatorta told us about his background and the companies he'd worked with and how he became an entrepreneur. Now let's continue our discussion on leading in adverse and ambiguous times. So, Steve, are there any exercises that we can practice to become better at dealing with adversity in the short term and the long term? Sure, sure. I really focus on something called what I call situational debrief. And that can be used either for yourself or for someone you're coaching, managing, or leading as well, too. Uh, Basically, situational debrief consists of uh, four parts. Let's say I'm dealing with... uh, a situation, maybe a customer engagement, and it doesn't go well. It, it turns out negative. It, uh, uh, people, someone gets mad at me, a customer gets mad at me, or it didn't go my way. Uh, a situational debrief, again, the four parts are, I would set, come back from the situation, first and foremost, recapture that situation either on paper or in my mind. 
relive that, review that situation. Secondly, I would review all the outcomes, good, bad, or indifferent. Thirdly, I would define key learnings. What lessons did I learn from that situation? And then fourth, I would revisit what I should do next time or what I could have done next time or instead of what I did or what could I do next time in a similar type of situation. These four steps are imperative because what it does, it helps to rewire our brain to look at a previously unsuccessful situation and revisit in a positive light, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. it may have been a failure. I may have uh, done something, again, perceived failure or not succeeded as well as I would like, instead of getting frustrated about it or getting angry about it or, 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 or blaming someone else for it. I can step back and revisit that situation in that non-emotional state and review that situation in a positive light. That allows me to learn a lesson as to what I can do next time or what should should I have done to become more successful. So I can do that for myself to relive situations and learn lessons to prepare me for the future, or I can use that same four step process in coaching, leading, or developing one of my employees. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while you were talking, I was thinking about a SWOT analysis, which isn't necessarily done, you know, in adversity per se. It's just when you're looking at your business and identifying, you know, the strengths you have or weaknesses or opportunities, right. threats. So would you consider like that kind of pairing with what you're talking about here and looking back at a situation or are they completely different? No, I definitely. That's allowing you to see things from a clear state of mind, revisit uh, past situations and, and again, looking at things in a positive light. It's, I'm not saying it's a direct correlation. There's a little apples and oranges there, but it is something similar. Mm-hmm. Again, the whole point is to learn valuable lessons from perceived, when I say perceived failure, the reason I say perceived failure is I don't believe there's any failures if you learn lessons from them. Every mm-hmm. opportunity presents us with uh, a, a new learning or, or uh, an opportunity to grow. So I, I use the situational debrief to take those perceived failures or perceived situations that didn't get, go in our favor, you know, as a chance to review them in a different light. I learned this in my first job out of college when we would actually make sales calls. We, we had a 10-step uh, call procedure, a four-step sales process uh, or present, presentation process. We had various skills on how to handle objections or how to present properly. When we would make our sales call, our manager after every sales call, when he or she was working with us, would review the actual sales call with us. Mm-hmm. What, what happened in that uh, situation? Uh, what were the outcomes? What did we learn? And what could we do different now? What, the, what, we, what could we do different now was the opportunity for the manager to reconnect, again, things that didn't go well with skills that we had learned and to really, really present us how if we would have used those skills properly or differently, how we could have been successful. So once again, it's a, a way of rewiring our brain when we're thinking in that rational state of, line, uh, state of mind to learn valuable lessons to prepare us for future situations. Mm-hmm. And while you were talking about that too, a, an idea had popped in my head of an example that probably other people have experienced too but you know when you're in a situation and later on you think of something that you could have said you know so maybe if someone lost a sale because a customer had said something and then later on they're like oh I could have mentioned that it could be done this way you know so I think going through this process after it's happened 
and then you think through what you could have said in the future, then it helps you if someone else brings up that same objection, you know, and you could say, oh, well, actually, this is how you could use it, and it would make a difference this way, and That's it would correct. have you prepared, right? That's correct. Another thing it does is it drives that other, let's say I'm uh, uh, tra- I'm, I'm the manager, I'm managing someone else or coaching someone else on a failure. A salesperson had a bad customer engagement. We're walking through the situational debrief process. Instead of me telling them what they should have done, this process allows them to come to the conclusion themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, I as the manager may lead them a little bit or try to coax them into you know, what, uh, what they did or what could you have thought something different, but typically it allows them to come to it themselves. And I think everyone would agree they tend to, people tend to learn better when they come to a, 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 an idea t- by themselves rather than someone telling them what right. they should have done. In addition, um, allowing that person to come to that themselves keeps them in that cortex part of the brain or that rational part of the brain. If I'm a manager and I'm telling someone what, the, what, the, what they should have done, I may shut that other person down. Mm-hmm. They may freeze. They may not want to. They may be in a flight mode, or they may get angry about it, and they're not going to learn the lesson. This situational debrief process allows the person to keep in that rational cortex part of their brain and learn the lesson, but because they're coming to, to them, them themselves, so to speak. Right, like they feel like they have ownership of the solution per se because they came up with it. Bingo! Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking then about perception a lot here too. So then can you talk about people's perception of adversity as it relates to success? Um, I could expand on that a little bit. Well, you know, you're saying that there's this perception of failure or things like that, you know, and so what can someone do if they're perceiving something as failure to actually really look at it more as success? Right. And, and that, I learned this from a gentleman named Chad Hymas. Chad's one of the most popular uh, public speakers out on the public speaking circuit. He is a, a quadriplegic. And that was his through an accident. And he speaks a mm. lot on how that accident um, helped uh, change his perception of things or how that how it, he could have looked at that accident as a negative, And he chose not to. He looked at it as a positive and an opportunity to share his stories with others. So um, that's why I talk about the perception of adversity. If we look at adversity, if we accept that it is supposed to happen, we're not going to be surprised when it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're someone that expects, or we get we get upset every time adverse situations happen. We're going to shut down. We could fall in that emotional state. If we accept that it is an it's going to happen in our lives, and we acknowledge that it's a chance to learn, that's going to change the way we handle something. Mm-hmm. So I think again, looking at adversity or ambiguity or dealing with change is an opportunity to learn is the importance of driving that perception because that's where we're going to be success. And once we drive some more success based off overcoming obstacles, we're going to build that confidence as well too. I often throw emotional intelligence in the mix as well too. For your listeners um, who may not know what emotional intelligence is, look at it this way. Uh, IQ is how smart we are, brain smart. EQ is how astute we are from an emotional perspective. And there, uh, so when adversity strikes, are we able to stay in that rational state of mind or do we get upset? When adversity strikes, do we lash out at others? If we do lash out of others, if we don't handle it well, we most likely will have low emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So what I do is I tell people through adverse situations, we can actually increase and grow our emotional intelligence. We can learn lessons. We can uh, become stronger during adverse times. And it will drive, again, our EQ will drive our success in dealing with adversity or ambiguity or unprecedented times like we're going through now. Mm-hmm. So I would assume then if someone is on the lower end of the spectrum then for this emotional intelligence that they could reach out to someone as a coach or a mentor or a family member or friend or something to actually help them through this process and think through solutions or, you know, change how they're looking at the situation. Exactly. As you mentioned in my introduction, I'm certified in something a bar on EQ. And so I do work with my clients to help them grow their emotional intelligence. So EQ uh, consists of three parts. The first one is intrapersonal skills. How well do we know ourselves? How well do we understand how we're motivated, how we behave, how we communicate, how well we deal with change, risk, and conflict? How well do we make uh, good decisions? Because the more I can understand how myself, the more I can better self-manage. Mm-hmm. So if I know that I struggle with change, I know I'm going to have to build those skills to help me become more effective during change or ambiguous times. So the first part is growing your intrapersonal skills. The second part is growing your interpersonal skills. How well can I connect and engage and interact with others? I can be the smartest person in the room. I can have a very, I could be a Harvard educated person, have a high IQ. But if I'm susceptible to losing my patience, if I'm if I anger every and irritate everyone around me, I can be the smartest person in the room, but I'm not successful because I have little self-awareness and I can't get the best of the people that I work with or who are around me. So you can have high EQ, uh, IQ, but very low EQ, and that's going to hinder your effectiveness as a human being and as a leader as well, too. So driving your intrapersonal skills, driving your interpersonal skills are the two key parts. Then if you can build your intrapersonal skills and interpersonal skills, you will be more willing or more able to build your resilience, build your perseverance and solve problems, resolve conflicts every day, but most importantly, when we are going through times like we are now, and adversity, ambiguity, unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. So why do people respond differently then to adversity, ambiguity, and change? I mean, do you think it's more like an inborn trait, it's environment they've been you know, around? Like, what do you think causes think those differences? Many, excellent question. I think in many ways, it's our upbringing. Um, I use a behavior, I'm certified in various behavioral assessments, and I use an assessment most of your viewers may have heard of before called DISC. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it, yes. Okay. DISC is a Carl Jung, it, it's based off of Carl Jung theory, mm-hmm. and it is a behavioral assessment that focuses on four behavior styles. DISC is an acronym for those four styles. So D stands for dominance, I stands for influence, S stands for steadiness. C stands for compliance. So if you take the assessment, you can understand essentially your base behavior style. And everyone's style is different. And people aren't necessarily D or I or S or C. They're typically blends of different styles. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those behavior styles evolve from our experiences, our background, our heredity, things of that nature. So the DISC assessment is very helpful in identifying essentially our behavior or personality traits. 
and based off of our behavior or personality traits can help us better understand ourselves and how we may deal with adverse situations. So the way a dominant style deals with adversity may be very different than an influencer, a steadiness and compliance style. So that self-awareness can help me understand my, the way I deal with adversity, those things that first may trigger me, those emotional triggers as I call them, and what is your emotional response when they happen. So by understanding my emotional triggers and responses, I can raise my emotional intelligence as well too, and again, be better at handling those adverse or, or amb- ambiguous situations. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So then how can someone stay strong in the face of obstacles? The number one thing is, and it isn't just a phrase or a cliche, stay calm, stay cool, stay rational. You know, I, I, I know several times I've been in a frustrating situation. Someone's like, just stay cool, stay calm, stay relaxed, and it would really irritate me. You know? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, there's, there's brain, uh, there's facts, scientific facts that back this and brain functionality to support this as well, too. And when I, going back to what I talked about, the limbic system and the cortex, when we are functioning in that limbic state of mind, of freeze, fight, or flight, we're not thinking clearly. We're not thinking rationally. We're not going to be able to see things as they truly are, and hence, we're not going to be able to solve a problem or, or deal with it rationally or see solutions. When I'm angry, when they say you're seeing, you're seeing red, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to think logically through things. So... Um, the number one thing to do is, yes, prevent the transfer of authority from the cortex to the limbic system. Essentially, I'm basically saying in layman's terms is be calm, be cool, be rational. Only when you're in that state of mind will you be able to solve that problem or think your way through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always I quote many times in my workshops, Rudolph Giuliani, who stated, I'm going to paraphrase a bit here, that Rudolph Giuliani's father told him, whenever you're in a difficult situation, be the calmest person in the room. That's a paraphrase. But essentially, mm-hmm. his dad was saying, don't get rattled. Don't get frustrated. Be calm, and you're going to be able to find an answer for this. So that's the number one thing people uh, should do. It's not a cliche. It's not a uh, touchy-feely phrase. There's, again, uh, science behind it and, and brain functionality to support that, uh, that approach. So if someone is feeling, you know, angry or stressed or, you know, like you said, kind of in that fight, flight, you know, freeze, do you suggest deep breathing? Like just, you know, think about your breathing or like, what do you recommend to them to help them calm down so they can get into that more rational state? Yes, that's one one of the ways, sure thing. But as I said before, each person's different and each person needs to find their way to decompress and get themselves out of that uh, limbic or that emotional state of mind. So exactly what you said, that would be one way of doing that. That helps me calm down. I actually get away from the situation. I'll go for a walk. I'll go for a run. I practice martial arts and yoga. You know, going to run and, and, and doing some kickboxing, kicking some uh, pads <laughs> and punching some pads really is a good way to get me out of my freeze, fight, or flight mode. Or going for a walk along the water. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the person. And I'd urge the, your listeners to really find out what works for them. Uh, taking a yoga class might work, reading. Mm-hmm. I'd also say for people, you know, find a coach or a confidant or, or, or a, a, a significant other, someone they really trust in their lives, they can reach out to 
and ask for their honest opinion, to bounce ideas, to share things with, because you don't have to go through adversity or difficult times alone. Find a support mechanism that can help you. Um, so my guess, my answer is, it's incumbent upon each person to think about what things relax me? What things can I do to get me out of an emotional state? And I've got to know what that is and, and use that at that time. I know mm-hmm. when I, I'm a freezer and a fighter, when I'm in that mode, I'm no longer productive. And I know I've got to step away from the situation and get uh, either walk or run or do my martial arts or do my yoga and then come back and deal with the situation when I'm calm, cool, and rational again, when I'm functioning in that cortex part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You said uh, you're like a fighter and a freezer. I would think those are opposite, but <laughs> I guess not. Well, so, you go, oh, mm-hmm. go, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I just found that interesting that you said that. Yeah, and I, I, I think we're coming down on a uh, coming on a break here soon, but I can expand on that a little bit more because when you tie the disc styles uh, to the freeze, fight, or flight uh, responses, you can gain better understanding of that as well, too. So, Okay, great. Well, you're right. It is time to take another quick break. Um, so be sure to hang around to hear more from Steve Gavitorda on leading in adverse and ambiguous times. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Let's find out a bit more information from Steve on that fight or flight that we were talking about before the commercial. So, Steve, again, you mentioned your fight or flight uh, kind of 
combined, and I thought those might be opposite. So can you touch on that a little bit? Sure, sure. And that ties back to what I call that disk behavioral assessment and going and understanding what I call our, our emotional triggers and responses. So with each of the look at these different styles when they are in that em, non-productive emotional state. Each style DIS and C has a positive side and it has a negative side. So what I'm talking about now is the negative side when each of these styles are in that negative emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight. General thumb is dominant styles. These are type A personalities. These are aggressive, uh, very competitive people. So when adversity strikes for them, it's going to be fight. Their mm-hmm. response can be fight. Influencer styles are very extroverted, people pleasers. They're part life of the party. They're highly uh, people-oriented people, so to speak. So when adversity strikes for them, they are flighters. They run away. They don't necessarily want to deal with it head on. They don't want to confront it. Steadiness style people are very uh, collaborative, very loyal, a uh, little bit more on the introverted side, but they, they enjoy interacting with people as well, too. When adversity strikes for them, they may freeze. And lastly, the compliance style is very analytical, numbers-oriented, very conservative, um, highly analytical. When adversity strikes for them, they are freezers and fighters. So mm-hmm. we don't necessarily spawn in, in, in one way, freeze or fight or flight, based on our style may determine how we respond to an adverse situation. So from a DISC behavioral perspective, my DISC score, I am a high S or a steadiness style, but I'm also a little bit of high dominant style because we're not D or I or S or C. We're typically blends of these different styles. Um, life's not you know black or white, so to speak. It's a little bit right. more gray, same with the DISC style. So I'm a high S and high D. And I, so that is a freezer and a fighter. And that literally is what I do. <laughs> mm. I may, if, if there, if I'm in an adverse situation and I'm not, I'm, I'm not careful, I can, I can first freeze, meaning I shut down. People may think I'm okay, but I'm not. I'm internalizing. I'm not hearing what's being said. I may not be thinking clearly. And if I'm pushed to a certain point, I actually may fight back. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine in an adverse situation, if I'm shutting down and fighting back, that's not productive. Mm-hmm. So I've learned those things that may trigger me into an, a negative state and what it may feel like. So I can better self-manage myself to ensure that it doesn't happen. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. No, it makes great sense. Mm-hmm. So in turn, through this knowledge I have raised my emotional intelligence because now that I understand this brain functionality piece, now that I've connected the dots between brain functionality and my behavior, I become more self-aware in a positive way. So I'm able to better self-manage and know those things that set Steve in that emotional state and what it feels like so I can Mm self-manage. A steadiness style, this COVID-19 stuff is very difficult for a steadiness style because steadiness people, high S's, don't like a lot of change. They like to time, they like to take time to think things through. They like a collaborative environment. This COVID nineteen is counter to all those those needs. So this situation in and of itself could easily set me because of my style into that limbic state. So I this knowledge has helped me better self manage through these times and fall back on tactics, 
skills that I can use to keep me functioning in that optimal state of mind. Things I previously mentioned. I have coaches that I can lean on. I have confidants, uh, trusted advisors I can fall back back to and ask questions who keep me in that rational state of mind. I can go for a run. I can do my martial arts. I know all these things are tools I can use to keep me in that optimal frame of mind so I don't fall into that first freeze mode, then fight mode. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So then when we're talking about all of these things, you know, we're talking a lot on an individual side, but what about being a leader, right? What are the greatest attributes that a leader can have in dealing with adversity? Right. I think number one is know their own strengths and weaknesses. Know what their style is. Know those things that trigger them into a non-productive emotional state and how that may manifest. So let's go back to the emotional intelligences. Great leaders have high emotional intelligence. They understand themselves, their own motivators, their own behaviors, how they make decisions, how they deal with change, risk, and conflict. Because the more they can understand about themselves, the more they're going to be able to op- run, uh, function at that optimal brain state of mind, so to speak. So once mm-hmm. again, if I'm a, let's say I'm a dominant style and I'm prone to anger, if I get angry at my team, if I'm susceptible to losing my patience, if I'm susceptible to taking control or moving too quickly during an adverse situations, situation, I'm not productive anymore because I'm operating emotionally. Right. In addition, I can set my team into to non-emotional states too because typically people don't like being yelled at. <laughs> right. <laughs> like they're being told what to do or moving too quickly. So that high emotional intelligence point of intrapersonal skills is number one. Number two, really being that driving that interpersonal skills side, really having my pulse on the, the, the motivators and styles of my team. Because good chances are they're not all created equal. Each of them may be, some people may be a dominant style from a DISC perspective, some of them that may be influencer styles from a DISC perspective, some of them may be steadiness or compliance styles. It's incumbent on that leader to not only understand him or herself, but also understand his or her team to get the best out of them. Right. Um, football coach Vince Lombardi had a great quote. He was known as a great motivator, a great communicator. And he said he needed to know how to motivate and communicate and lead 40 different men 40 different ways. He, didn't, mm-hmm. he knew the hot buttons to push on his teammate or his team to get the best out of them, especially during game time or adverse game time situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, another good example is Pat Summit. I don't know if you know who Pat Summit is uh, or uh, your listeners do, but she was the all-time winningest coach of the Tennessee Volunteer Ladies Basketball Team. I saw her speak several times. Fantastic leader, fantastic uh, communicator. She is unfortunately passed, but she was uh, their winningest basketball coach. And she told a story in one of her speeches one time where it was at the end of a game, it was a national championship game, three seconds left, they're down by one point. She calls a timeout to set up the the final play to try to win the game. Well, she sets the play uh, that was going to her All-American point guard. It was uh, possibly be, possibly her the best player she ever had as, as, as long as she coached in Tennessee. When she set the play for this particular player, Pat Summit looked at the girl. That girl lost contact, looked straight down at the ground. Pat hmm. Summit immediately changed the play 
to go to another player. Uh, that player end up winning the game with, a, with the game-winning basket, so to speak. The moral of that story was Pat Summit was aware enough as a leader to look in that one player's eyes and know she was, she was in that limbic state of mind of a, most likely freeze or flight fr- mm-hmm. or freeze, losing that icon, looking down. She was highly aware that this player was not in the optimal brain state of mind, so to speak, to win this game. Mm-hmm. So great leaders are highly self-aware and they have the pulse on the uh, on each of their people. They know their motivators. They know how to get the best out of each person and they're able to uh, to get the best out of each person based on their respective styles, so to speak. Right. Well, and I know we're going to be coming down to the end of the show pretty soon. Uh, I would love to ask this question, and then depending on how much time we have, we'll see if there's time for any other questions. But what do you think are the greatest lessons that we can learn from our difficulties? That they are meant to prepare us for the future. <laughs> Period. End of story. I can. I, there's five situations I can uh, are on my hand. There were, in many ways, I, I, one of them was devastating to my family and myself as a child. Uh, several others were, I guess, I wouldn't say devastating or could have changed my career trajectory if I would have handled them in a sit- different situation. So my, my, my biggest point would be that um, their meant adverse situations or greatest learnings um, happen during our most difficult times. They're placed in our lives to help us grow, transform, and evolve. Look at Mother Nature, so to speak. A, 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 a diamond becomes a diamond uh, through years Under pressure. of pressure as a piece of coal, right? It's a, mm-hmm. piece, a piece of coal that becomes a diamond through years of pressure. I think that's a great metaphor for our lives. Uh, we, As a runner, we build more strength running into the wind rather than against the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, gain our greatest muscles lifting heavier weights rather than lighter weights. Uh, when we're in school, we solve problems. We don't solve easies. <laughs> right. You know, so these obstacles are placed in our lives. Even this crazy COVID-19 stuff, I firmly believe, was placed in our lives to help us grow in some capacity. And I often say if we use times like this to learn valuable lessons, we, we, we won't only just survive them, we'll thrive in them as well. Exactly. Well, we are getting close to the end of the show, and I do want to allow you to let the listeners know about any you know offers that you have that you would like to share. So please let us know what you have. Sure, sure. As you said at the beginning of the uh, the, the, the show, um, I published a book. It has been about a year and a half ago called In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success. And a lot of the learnings we spoke about today is within that book uh, in much more depth, so to speak, because it's a lot more pages and whatnot. Right. Uh, it includes a free disk behavioral assessment. And f- so what I will do for all participants, if they are interested, is provide them with a, an e-version or audio version of that book gratis. So however you want to offer that candy is fine by me. So a free e-version or audio version of my book, In Defense of Adversity, would be one offering I'd offer to your listeners. The second would be, um, that book is based off of four foundational pillars. One is the brain science I spoke about. Two is the behavioral assessment disc that I spoke about. Uh, thirdly would be my, my uh, 22 plus 17 years experience as a coach, leader, consultant. And the fourth foundational pillar is uh, consists of uh, 
interviews I conducted with over 60 highly successful leaders, entrepreneurs, businessmen and women, professional and amateur athletes, yoga instructors. Um, I interviewed and surveyed these 60 people with five questions, um, how people face adversity, what did they learn from it, how did they overcome it, who were people they looked up to them, how they uh, looked up to to help them through adversity, how they um, prepared for adversity. Essentially, I asked these six leaders five questions and they gave me, I cannot tell you, the responses they gave me were pure gold. And I have these responses over 350 to 400 entries um, in a PDF file. Just pure gold of wisdom and insights that I'll provide you as well, too, that you can provide the, your listeners as well free, free to help them uh, learn valuable lessons and take insights away, uh, again, during these times that we're going through now, but after we're through this, too. Okay, perfect. And if any of the listeners want to find you, you know, do you have a website, phone number, social media that you want to share? Sure. My website is www.gavatorta.com. That's G-A-V-A-T-O-R-T-A.com. Uh, feel free to email me. Be happy to respond with any, uh, any questions you may have, comments. Uh, my email address is basically steve at gavatorta.com. And my business phone is 813-908-1343. And feel free to Google me. I'm out there on a public domain. There's a lot of, I have a lot of YouTube videos out there, a lot of uh, good content out there on the YouTube sites. I've, uh, I've been on TV and other radio podcasts, a lot of good information out there. And people may be able to uh, take some other insights from uh, things I've talked about through my career as both a uh, business person and entrepreneur and um, and a consultant. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for being a guest on the show. And I want to thank the listeners also for tuning into the show today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about leading in adverse and ambiguous times. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Steve at any of the links that he shared or send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd really appreciate it. Next week's topic is being a proactive leader. I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember to tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on www.voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to BizHelp for You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.